Sales Tuners, Episode 38, Matt Millen, Senior Vice President of Revenue at Outreach. The number one thing that sales reps wanted were more leads, and the number one thing that management wanted was more leads. So if you took a look at the survey, everybody wants more leads, but we don't see overwhelming evidence that that helps. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooner's time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Tony Robbins, who said, it's not the events of our lives that shape us, but our beliefs as to what those events mean. Today, I'm joined by Matt Millen, Senior Vice President of Revenue at Outreach, an outbound sales engagement platform. Matt's ability to both inspire personally and manage professionally has led him to have been dubbed a sales turnaround expert. His 30-year career that started in the mortgage business has included stops at Gateway Computers, T-Mobile, and he's even led sales for the inspirational Tony Robbins. Sales tuners, it's hard to believe we're almost five months into 2017. In today's conversation, Matt told me that nearly 50% of salespeople will not hit their quota. So I want to do a quick check on the goals you've set and where you are on your quota attainment. If you've got some work to do, I want to remind you of the free resource I have created for you at salestuners.com roadmap. This workbook, and when I say work, I do mean it, will help you begin with the end in mind, starting with your revenue goal and then working backwards into all the activities you'll need to do on a monthly, weekly, and even daily basis to catch up. Included in the workbook is an Excel file that will do all the calculations for you, and I've even added my personal weekly activity scorecard so you can see exactly how I'm spending my days. So, when you're ready to turn 2017 around, you can download all of that for free at salestuners.com roadmap. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com 38. But now, Let's get to the conversation where Matt talks about walking door to door in his apartment complex, offering to wash cars for a dollar. I grew up really poor. Um, uh, and we've all got our story, which is cool. So, you know, I'm not looking for everyone to have any pity. Uh, but I grew up really poor. And when I was old enough to walk, I was uh, walking door to door in the apartment complex I grew up in and knocked on doors and would wash cars for a buck a car. Uh, when I had a bike, I had two paper routes. Uh, when I was Old enough to lie about my age, I was washing dishes in a in a restaurant and and uh, but here's what happened when I when I got out of college, um, I had a roommate who was in sales and I was in banking. I was a, a like a credit manager on a fast track down my own my own branch within a year. And here's what happened at the end of every month: my roommate got paid for being a sales guy, and I got paid for being a credit manager. But then my roommate got a second check, which was all commission. So like he was getting paid twice. He got paid to do his job and then he got paid again. Plus he, you know, he was winning TVs and trips. And I'm like, let me get this straight. We're both working and you're getting paid twice. And you have all this really cool stuff you keep winning. Like I want to do that too. Uh, and I quickly decided I was going to be in sales. 
it's that simple. Like, like the guy I was living with was doing way better than I was, uh, but not because he was smarter, not because he worked harder, but he was in sales and he got to leverage all of his talents and skills and, and earn a really good living for himself. And that, that was a huge incentive for me. I love that idea of the, he was getting a second check, right? The first one was for just doing his job. And then there's like this just bonus that came out of nowhere. That is, uh, it's fantastic. I think that's a lot of people, a lot of salespeople uh, can definitely get behind that. So Matt, as, as you know, in this show, uh, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success, right? Those 30 years. So I, I want to first talk about your sales pro- process today. What is outreach and, and how does someone decide to buy from you today? Well, that's awesome. First of all, Outreach is a sales engagement platform, and it takes the best of what technology has to offer today and marry that up against the pain that most salespeople are in. The truth is, and there's research from Accenture and CSO Insights that states that 50% of salespeople will miss their number this year. 65% of the day is spent not selling. 99% of all leads never transact. So you could argue that sales is, a, is in a state of crisis. Uh, and we fix that. You know, what we, what we provide is a level of automation for salespeople that provides one or two hours of selling time back. Uh, we increase sales activity by two to three X. And that results in 30% more meetings, 30% more pipeline. And we automate all the mundane tasks that salespeople just hate to do. You know, updating Salesforce, all the follow-ups that either have to get made or don't get made, uh, et cetera. All of that gets done. And we're at a stage now where you wouldn't see a marketing department without marketing automation. And you know, we're getting to a point where you won't find a sales department without sales automation. Uh, sales folks need help, and we're here to do that. When you were starting out, like, you know, you said it's kind of in your blood. You you grew up poor, uh, and I can definitely relate to that. That's a lot of my story as well, including the paper route. But how did you actually learn the, the, the trade, the, the tricks of the trade that were going to get you to have the successes that you started to see uh, early on? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, I, I made every mistake. I was literally selling for two years before we ever had our first quote unquote sales training. And I'll never forget the day our boss announced that we're going to go to training and learn how to close. And I'm like, what? I don't know how to close. Like, what, what do you mean we're going to go learn how to close? We've been closing for two years. Uh, you know, just, just asking for the business. I I had no idea. Like I was horrified of sales training. You know, when I started out, like you, you just didn't get trained. And hopefully you sat next to somebody who was like really good. So you could pick up on what they were doing. And that, that was like the early key to success, you know, sit next to the people making all the money and figure out what they do, buy them lunch every week and pick their brain. I like that. So you were the, you led sales. You're the VP of sales for the Tony Robbins company. I, I'm a little bit confused. I, I thought Tony Robbins just sold himself. That, that's a great question. Uh, you know, Tony's got a massive brand. And I tell everybody, if you ever get a chance, you've got to go see Tony live because he literally is one of a kind. Uh, that said, you know, he does events now, 10, 12, 15,000 people. He's got products. He's got coaching services. He's all over the world. Uh, and people just don't magically fill up the events and, and buy his products. Uh, it's all sold. And then once you're on site, there's a, there's a formula for success of, you know, selling once people are already there in terms of what's next. 
you know, it's a business within a business. Yeah. So how would you compare that to a modern, not, not, not even modern day. That's not what I mean. Um, with what you're selling today, right? So outreach has definitely started to build a name for itself in the sales development world, right? But it's not, it doesn't have the brand name that Tony Robbins carries or the cachet that uh, Tony Robbins has. How would you compare that type of sell? Hey, 35 years ago when Tony started, he would literally be in front of a room and there would be two to six people listening to his story. But what Tony was doing is Tony was satisfying a need in the marketplace and building his brand slowly, delivering a quality product. And 35 years later, you know, one of the most amazing humans ever to be on the earth. You know, he's got, he's been in front of, I don't know, 30 to 50 million people. Uh, it takes time. And, you know, outreach is two and a half years old now. Uh, we're, you know, doing very well. You know, we grew four times last year. We're on a very strong growth rate this year. But none of that matters. What matters is we solve a problem. But what matters is, is that there's certain pain that sales leaders have, there's certain pain that sales reps have and experience that technology can fix without dehumanizing the interaction, uh, putting fun back in, making sales great again, like taking all the parts of selling that you love, do more of it, take all the parts of selling that you can't stand and have that done for you. Let automation take that over. And that's really the beauty of outreach and, and not just outreach, but the technology that's available today for reps. Yeah, I think there's, I had uh, Bob Perkins from the AISP on a couple of weeks ago, and that was one of the takeaways we had from him is we, you know, we truly do have to embrace the technology changes and the technology paradigm shift that we've had in this. And um, one of his things though, Matt, was that even though we have all the technology, we're, we're kind of running the risk of depersonalizing the sales process because we're relying on automation and metrics and data and analytics instead of just getting back to human to human interaction. Any thoughts on that? So I, I, I'm going to disagree at some level. And he, here's what's happened in the last 10 years is selling has gone from an analog motion to a digital motion. The first, the first digital motion showed up as social media, mobile internet, signals and triggers from the marketplace, firmographics, right? There was this whole like letting digital work for the rep. Now what's happening is, is a, there's a new level of digital coming our way. Machine learning, artificial intelligence, national, um, natural language processing. It's all here right now. It doesn't dehumanize us. It makes us better. And here's the difference. When a robot shows up on an assembly line, it replaces a human being. When automation shows up in the sales process, it just takes out the tasks that you either weren't doing or you hated to do. We're not having the conversation with your customer for you. We're not closing your deal. We're just giving you more time to do those things because that's where all the money's made. That's where you get a fat wallet. The more conversations that you have, the more likely you are to put pipeline together. The more pipeline you have, the more opportunity to close. So think of it this way, Jim. Automation just gets you up to the plate more often so you can hit the ball. Hitters want to hit, right? Get me, I just want to hit again. I want to hit. And salespeople are just trying to get up to the plate. New reps try to get up to the plate as they're building from zero. They're just trying to get up to the plate and hit the ball. They can't even practice their pitch 
you know, until they've actually got somebody on the phone or live in person. So think of automation, not to dehumanize the process, but to actually get you in the game more. Getting more at bats. That, that makes sense. And, and I think this aligns to what you were saying, uh, Matt, earlier, 65% of the day, a salesperson's day is spent in non-selling activities. So what do you mean by that? Right. So if you take a look at how most people set, uh, spend their day, they're entering information uh, into Salesforce. They've got very non-productive internal tasks and processes that need to get done trying to figure out who to call next and then get that call in order. So first they have to figure out who to call, figure out where all their follow-ups are and prioritize those. Once they figure out who they're going to call, how to get organized for that call, what, what were the communications before this, so where did I leave this off? Holy crap, it was 45 days since I put the follow-up in and who is this guy again? I mean, this is what's going on. And, you know, many reps that don't have automation are living out of follow-ups in an Outlook calendar or a spreadsheet somewhere. And it's just very, very inefficient, you know, let alone looking up information. There's a, a movie quote, um, and I forget what it was, you know, we only use 20% of our brain or something along those lines. And so if, <laughs> if, if we were at maximum capacity, so you're saying right now today that Sales reps spend 35% of their day actually doing sales activities. So if they were to be able to spend 100% of their time on sales activities, one, is that even possible? But two, what would that world look like? Yeah. It, by the way, it's not 100%. But I think the number is inverse. I think we should be spending 70% of our time selling. Let me give you a very specific example between the two scenarios. In many cases... Sales reps that don't have any automation, you know, they may have a module of accounts, and that module could be anywhere you know, from 50 to 75 accounts. Some reps have a bigger module. It doesn't matter how big the module is. If you ask them how many accounts are you active with at any point in time, you'll get a number like 10 to 15. Like I'm active with 10 to 15 customers because there's all kinds of follow-up going on. There's communication going back and forth. There's there's deals that are being worked, there's follow-up activity, and reps are working 12 to 15 accounts, even though they've got a module of 50 or 500. And what you'll find when leveraging automation is our inside sales team at any point in time is active with four to 500 customers each, never missing a follow-up, never. Our account executives in the field are working 200 customers actively, never missing a follow-up. So if you just think about from no other perspective, the number of accounts that you can be active with at any point in time. So if, if I'm making so much money working 15 accounts and I could literally 4X it, which would give me 4X the opportunity, you know, for potentially, depending on your conversion rates, you, know, you could be making a lot more money. You could be in for the 50% of the reps that, that don't have a path to victory, that don't have a path to winning right now. This is that difference. So are, when, you, when you're talking about this automation, though, Matt, are you saying, are, are these just canned messages that are going out or, or is the rep still able to add the personality and add the customization to this? Because, I mean, you know, there, there has been a lot of pushback with these automated systems that when not used right, it's basically just spam. That's right. And, and you know, the, qual it's the quality of what gets put in is the quality of what you get back. So number one, 
you know, the information that's being automated on your behalf. And I'll give you a couple different examples. Uh, but you can you can have as much or as little personalization as you want. Like one example is you get back from a trade show. You've got 400 leads. Most organizations that come back with a bunch of trade show leads, you know, what what's the likelihood that 100% of them are getting worked right away? Oh, there's what, no chance Given of your experience. Yeah, there's, there's no, no chance. chance. With a platform like Outreach, it's 100% of getting worked, 100% completely, because they get dropped right into a trade show sequence that, that's completely personalized to the fact that they attended the show. Uh, so 100% are being worked. And by the way, your reps are still doing their job. And when one of these reps raises their, one of, one of these prospects raises their hands to come talk to me, that, that, that's a bonus meeting, right? That, that's a bonus, but every lead's getting worked. Uh, another example, you have an account executive. I'm talking, Jim, I'm talking to you, and you're like, hey, Matt, you know, I don't get budget till September. You know, why don't we talk in August? You know, most reps go in and they'll put a calendar reminder to make a call to Jim sometime in August. And that day shows up. Your best effort is to make all of your follow-up calls. But you have a customer emergency that day. And you get pulled out of your rhythm. You get pulled out of your routine. And all those follow-ups on that day that you really meant to call, you, you, not that you ignored them, but you had a different priority. And most reps don't go back and carry them forward and get that. I mean, stuff this happens. But if you're using outreach, and don't want to do a shameless plug, but if you're using outreach and you're an account executive, we have all of these follow-up sequences. So I'm on the phone with you. You say, hey, I get my money in September. Talk to me in August. I just go right in. I drop you in a, in a budget follow-up sequence that kicks off whatever date I say. And automatically, the day I said, you get re-engaged. Automatically. I don't have to think about it. It's working for me in the background automatically, and I go on with my day. So this doesn't depersonalize it. What this does is it makes sure you don't drop a follow-up ever. I mean, think about that. If we're honest with ourselves, it's just too easy to not follow up or follow through. Or we've all seen the stats. You know, it takes 12 attempts to break through to somebody. We've also seen the exact same stat that the average rep makes three attempts. Mm-hmm. Automation closes the gap between three and 12. Yeah. No, I mean, as you, as you kept talking there, I started to really see it because it, and so take, take even the prospecting out of it. The, the point that you hit home for me is I literally today, I put something on my calendar that says, Hey, this person cannot talk until August of this year. So put a note on there. And I went into, I don't use Outlook, but I used, went into Google and I put a, a calendar reminder out there, you know, in, in July to follow up for August. But it happens to me all the time is that day will come and I get really busy and I forget. And then you're right. I don't carry it forward. And then it'll be two or three weeks later. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was supposed to reach out to so-and-so and, -so, and right. I didn't. And I wonder if I lost it. Well, it's been two weeks now. You know what? I probably shouldn't even reach back out to him. He will, he'll think I forgot about him and I'll just push that one to the side. And so it, it has completely exactly. gone off the radar. So, okay. I, I get that now. So I, I'm assuming then that leads to one of the other statistics you threw out. 50% of all sales reps won't hit a quota. When I heard you first say that at the AAISP Leadership Summit a few weeks ago in Chicago, I was blown away. But tell me more about that. Where does that come from? 50% of sales reps won't hit quota? In fact, if you take a look at organizations, there, there's a couple of metrics that determine the health of the sales team. And one of them is called participation. And participation is a metric that measures the percent of the team that actually made their number. Not whether or not the whole team made the number, but the percent of the team that made the number. 
Because increasingly, as I talk to sales leaders in my job, sales leaders are over-reliant on a few folks to carry the team. You know, there's a couple folks that you know bring in the big deals and ca- carry the team, but too many people aren't making their number. I mean, I just got I got an email yesterday with some facts on it. You know, the number was was north of 50 percent. I'm sorry, it was um, their number was 60 percent. 60 percent make it, 40 don't. And it just depends on your research. But whether it's 40 don't make it, 50 don't make it. I mean, that's way too many. I mean, th- this is a this is a game we're all playing, and it's not a zero-sum game. Like, I don't have to lose for you to win. There is enough opportunity out there for all of us to make our number. And we should be making our number. I heard a great formula of success from a buddy of mine. He calls it the 80-20-80 rule, where 80% of your team should make their number, and the 20% that don't should get at least 80% of that number. I like that. That's, that's good. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I might uh, I might start uh, using that. I, I want to go back to the the metric the metrics that determine the health of a sales team. You you said number one was participation. What were what was some of the others? So another one we look at is if you add up the total sales and divide it by the number of salespeople, what's the average amount sold by rep? So friends, not the number that make it, but what's also the average. So does the average rep do at least 100% on the team? So it's another one I look at. Taking some notes here. I I really do like this. And it it makes a lot of sense to me how you can see the overall, as you said, health, because you're right. Most teams have that A player who delivers everything for them. And, you know, what I've seen, Matt, sometimes is that that A player who delivers so much for them, if they're the only ones doing it, it sometimes becomes, and I'm going to use the wrong word here. I'm going to use the word embarrassed, but it it becomes embarrassing for them to continue to succeed because it's like, Oh, there goes so-and-so hitting his number again. And it's like, well, I can't even be proud of the success that I'm having because I'm so far ahead of everyone else. And I literally have seen that uh, in organizations. So I love some of the the numbers um, that you're putting together here. You also said 99% of all sales leads never transact. That one blew my mind. 99% (laughs) can't be possible. And you know what's great? So we were both in Chicago at the leadership conference. And if you looked at the survey they ran, the number one thing that sales reps wanted were more leads. And the number one thing that management wanted was more leads. So if you took a look at the survey, everybody wants more leads. But we don't see overwhelming evidence that that helps. So there's this over-reliance on marketing. Marketing does great things, don't get me wrong, and great demand gen. Uh, you know, we're always looking at the, the impact of demand gen versus what we can do through sales development. But, you know, lead, leads alone are not the answer. And most, and it's not because the leads stink. Most organizations have all awful, horrible lead follow-up. I, I don't say this out of bragging. It, it took a lot of work, but we follow up with a lead within eight minutes. That, that's our standard here. From marketing, through the internet, whatever it may be, we have an eight-minute uh, by the time it's assigned and called, we treat them like gold. Well, yeah, but still, still though, if you even though you're, though you're following up in eight minutes, if ninety nine percent of them uh, aren't transacting, uh, what good is the eight that's, minutes no, even doing for you? That's not our number. Okay, all right. No, no, that's not our number. I so mean, you're saying in general, in the sales universe, ninety nine percent of leads don't transact. This is all, all these numbers I'm giving you are published, you know, industry numbers, you know, all in. 
you know, organizations that have tight processes, great coordination between sales and marketing, standards that they adhere to in terms of how they run their business, they're going to get phenomenal numbers. But, but that's not everybody. Most teams need help. Most teams don't have the discipline, the rigor, uh, and the process in place to support success. I mean, success itself is a habit, and there's rituals that go into creating success. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I heard you say at the Leadership Summit as well, uh, you kind of led with it, is sales is all BS. And uh, <laughs> BS was, uh, well, you, I'll, I'll ask you, what is BS in your world? Belief systems. And talk to me about what that means. Yeah, I will. So there's, um, so I, I'll go real quick. So I talked about the, the, the three pillars of sales excellence. So I'll finish with belief, uh, but it's SAM. It's S-A-M, in case anybody's taking notes and wants to remember. And the S stands for story. Great sales organizations, you know, the reps tell great stories with passion, with conviction, with energy. Uh, And and those stories, you know, depending on where you're on the sales process, but there's there's a a long threaded story from the first time you build rapport and talk to somebody new, right up to getting their confidence and commitment to close that sale. And then post-sale to to nurture and expand. And, you know, you got to be able to tell that story and you got to be, uh, you know, really good at it. And I say it's always better when you've got a little bit of soul. And the soul is having truly experienced the impact your product makes on the market. So you're not selling to make a sale. You're selling because you know the impact that your product makes and and you're selling that. Like you're selling because you know viscerally the impact that you're going to make on that organization. And you'll fight a little harder. You'll tell that story a little better, you know, when you've got that soul. It's like a great... A great uh, blues singer can't be great unless they've had pain in their life. You know, it's just like a texture. Uh, The second pillar of excellence, uh, A, is activity. And great organizations move. They're doing the right thing at the right time. They get excellent conversions uh, off their activity. Uh, It's simple. They're busy. They move. Smart hustle. And third, M, morale or mindset or belief systems is really what's going on between your two ears. Like, how are you upstairs? Like, do you believe the company has your back? Do you believe the company has the back of your customer? Do you believe in your product, your service, the impact that it makes in the market? Like, do you feel unstoppable as you set out into the world that day and take on that rejection? Like, like really, how are you feeling upstairs? And are you ready for it? And at the end of the day, you're going to win or lose because of, your belief, your confidence, your certainty in terms of what you're doing and how convicted you are in doing it. And when you've got strong belief systems, you'll attack your activity with even more vigor, more passion, and you'll tell that story with even more certainty and more soul. So it's a beautiful looping system. Yeah, I can get behind that quite a bit. I, there's a lot of people will talk about, you know, just positive mental attitude, but it's more than that. It's it's more than just having, you know, a positive mental attitude. And there's a lot of stories I've heard around that. But Matt, when, when, how would you transfer this, right? So going from that belief system concept, because I'm with you, I, I'm all in on that. But how do you, how does the uh, role of coaching uh, for you play a part in, in high performing salespeople? Yeah, that's great. You know, I've got... Uh... First, first of all, you know, there, there's two kinds of coaches. Uh, there, there's a kind of coach that brings on people to their team that will run their playbook. And you see that all the time in professional sports. You know, certain coaches have a system. 
and they draft people or bring people in that, you know, how to, they'll be good in that system. And you've got other coaches, like, I just want the best. Like, I'll deal with the BS in the locker room. I'll deal with the off the field antics. Uh, but, I'll, you know, I'll take that raw talent. And, you know, I think first you've got to figure out what kind of coach you are. So you can manage your locker room and, and win your games accordingly, if that makes sense. And, you know, I like to bring people in that have, you know, strong belief systems, strong, I, you know, for me, it's identity. Um, you know, if they really know who they are, because what I've found is when, when, you, when you hire someone, not with great ego, but great ego strength, like true notion of their identity, and they'll do whatever it takes to maintain it. So if you hire somebody who literally has been the number one rep everywhere they've been, but their identity is a winner, their identity is truly what they are, then there's a strong likelihood that they're going to be that for you. And, and you'll be able to coach to that. But I, I don't like to bring in, you know, folks that don't have like a strong identity of winning. Like that's, that's who they are. Because the most powerful force in the human spirit is the need to stay consistent with the identity that you've created for yourself. And if they don't have that, then, then you're not going to be able to coach it. You can't, like, there's nothing there to coach. So you've got to start with talent. So I get that. How do you then take that and, and sustain that level of excellence or that level of success um, without getting burnt out? Hey, well, first of all, I, I believe you only get burnt out if you don't like what you're doing. Okay. Um, like, I wake up in a three-point stance. I love this game. And, you know, in terms of how do you coach to it, you know, these winners, they want to be on a winning team. Like they, they hate to lose more than they love to win. That's one of your great questions. They hate to lose. And what you need to do is you need to coach them into winning. But it's beyond that. You, you need to show them that you're all about removing the obstacles and barriers that get in their way. Like you're there for them. I got your back. Like. Like, well, I'll sit down, I'll do skip levels with the folks on my team. And I ask this question, what are the two things that you do as part of your day that don't work the way you need them to work? Like, what systems do we have? What processes do we have internally that just muck it up for you? Like, let me go get those out of your way. That's definitely the sign of a, a great leader. Um, and in not, not every sales rep out there listening to the show, you know, has that in their life. So well, let me ask you this. What do you think is the thing that, that holds salespeople back uh, from, from hitting their goals? The biggest thing? Well, a couple of things. Here's, here's what I've personally found, you know, leading teams for, for a while now, is when, when reps come in, especially reps that have had some level of success in previous jobs, they do, they do one of a couple different things that tends to get in their way of winning. Number one, they don't run your playbook. Now, if you join a winning team and most of the reps are doing really well, there's no reason to think that you're bigger than the process, that you're better than the system. So if there's a script, learn the script. If there's a process, run the process. Like let, let, the established winning playbook win for you. Now, once you've been there for a while and you've shown that you can win too, you can start, you know, get, get with your boss and say, hey, you know, I'd like, you know, my style, I'd like to do this a little differently. I'd like to do this a little differently. Great. You know, you've earned the privilege to do that. But when you first join a team, just run the playbook. And I've, I've seen reps just not do that. 
the second thing is I've seen successful reps like read a book <laughs> on sales, on influence, on something, and all of a sudden like their number starts tanking. And they'll say, it's like, you know, Sally or Joe, like, like what's happening? Oh man, I just read this book and I'm doing all, no, stop. <laughs> Don't do any of it. You know, just because you read a book on, on your golf swing doesn't mean you just go change your swing right away. I mean, it's, you know, so I think, you know, people forget that, that the process or the system, especially in an organization where it's well thought through and documented, other people are winning on it. You know, they're, they, they don't run the playbook. And that's a huge mistake. The second mistake is not doing the work. I mean, just flat out. You know, when you start a job or in a job, whether it's out of the gate or at some point in time, you can't stop doing all the hard work that pays off. Like for new reps, I call it the hard easy. You work really hard for the first six to nine months, and all of a sudden your job gets really easy. But you start off the first six to nine months like working easy, and it gets really hard. It gets painful at that point. And you just got to do the work. No matter what your job is, no matter who you do it for, you got to commit to doing the activity, uh, whatever it takes to win. You got to do the inputs to get the output. There's no shortcut for success. We're uh, we're doing this just audio, and so you can't see the really big smile that just came ac across my face. I love that. It's so true. Uh, I actually have on my monitor the letters DTB, and it's just my constant reminder to do the behavior. That's it. The only thing that I can control are the things that I do. And so for me, I know every single day I have to make 10 new cold calls. I have to. It's part of my daily process. And so I love that. The, the three things that are, are that hold successful back from continuing to win. Uh, I'm going to make sure I put that in the show notes for uh, everyone to take note. But um, Matt, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello, a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, Head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Matt, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Yeah, the, the one thing is, you know, when I looked around, I was a rep. You know, everyone's trying to figure out what's next and, and focusing on their number. And for me, I understood that when I was a sales rep and wanted to become a sales manager for the first time, that somebody had to take a chance on me. And when I was a sales manager and I want to work my way up to director and I've never been a director before and I'm going against folks for that job that have director level experience, that somebody would have to take a chance on me. And when I first went to become a vice president and was competing uh, without the experience, uh, you know, somebody again had to take a chance on me. And I, and I think just for everyone, remember that it's not just about your individual achievements in terms of taking the next step in your career, but to really understand that someone needs to take a chance on you. And how do you de-risk that? Like, how do you make those, those hiring leaders 
uh, know that you're still a safe decision, even though you might not have the same experience. So true. So true. Matt, if you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell your 22 year old self to spend the next 30 days doing? Practice the script. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like you don't have a right to represent the product if you, if you don't know what you're talking about. And, and I see too many people, you know, with so much, so much eagerness to get on the phone, but not ready to talk about it when they land a call. And I would just say, I would tell myself, practice the script. Fair enough. I, I feel like you alluded to this next one earlier, but uh, which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? Oh, I hate to lose. And, and the reason why, like when you win, like we just had a killer quarter, 130% to plan. It was an awesome Q1. Q2 shows up, it's gone. Like Q1's over, got to go do it again. Now, had we missed Q1, I'd be feeling a pit in my stomach for a full 90 days. So for me, you know, the, the thrill of the victory lasts a little bit, but the pain of the loss just doesn't go away. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? Conversations that win the complex sale. It has nothing to do with complex selling. Sales Sooners, if you'd like to check out Matt's suggestion of conversations that win the complex sell, head over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. Matt, what's something you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on? Uh, the, the amount of preparation it takes to nail it. You saw me, um, you saw me speak in Chicago just a little while ago. And what you may not know is my 22 minute talk, you know, with no slides, no notes. Uh, I practiced five times a day for 20 days. I woke up at four in the morning and did it. Then I got back, uh, I did it 6am. I did it once noon and then twice at night. And I did it once sitting down, once walking, once in my head, once out loud to somebody, but I, I practiced five times a day for 20 days because what I wasn't going to do was be on stage and let my team down, uh, let the, let the room down, let myself down. Like I, like I was ready. And I, most people don't think that that level of preparation is necessary. And some people are very comfortable just winging it. But I think when you wing it and you don't know what to say, you fall back into habits and not everybody have great habits. I, you know, I encourage my team to really spend the time uh, practicing. And, and I'm a big believer that you get rewarded in public for what you practice in private. I, wow. I, I took that as a note for myself. I, that's fantastic. Uh, Matt, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Keep going. I mean, like, don't stop. Don't, I mean, if you're really doing the grind, working, then like hats off to you. I honor you. I acknowledge. I, I've got empathy for what it takes to sell and to be on the front line and make it happen. And have faith. I mean, just know that your hard work's going to pay off. If, if you're really doing the right things at the right time in the right way, you know, just believe in yourself and believe in the process that you'll be uh, handsomely rewarded for that effort. Matt, I'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, how could someone find you or connect with you after the show if they wanted to today? Yes, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'd love to get your feedback and create a connection. That's awesome. Matt, thank you so much for joining me on Sales Sooners today. This has been great. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to have gotten to meet Matt at the AAISP Leadership Summit in Chicago. 
The stats that he threw out seriously floored me, and when he started to break them down, well, I knew I had to get him on the show. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, you get what you give. The quality of what you put into a sale is the quality of what you get back. Success is in itself a habit, and there are rituals that go into creating success. Those rituals should begin and end with making the most of every sale. The numbers play a role, and the automation tools available are important, but ultimately it's what you put into a sale that matters. It's who you are, what you have to offer, and how you offer it that closes the deal. Number two, believe in something. It's different for everyone, but one tried and true belief system focuses on the importance of having a story, being active, and having a positive mindset. Great sales reps live and breathe their business. They tell a story with passion, conviction, and soul. They are active in conversations and they believe in their heart that their product is going to help whoever they are selling it to. Number three, learn from what works. Trusting the process matters. If there's a process in place from those that came before you, run the process. Learn the script. Don't reinvent the wheel unnecessarily when something is working. Once you master what's in place, then you can look for new ways to learn and engage. Most importantly, understand that the hard work defines what you do. It may not always be easy, but sometimes you need to put pen to paper and actually do the work. There are no shortcuts for success. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Hey!